Okay, Hebrews chapter 2. And I just hope to look at the first four verses this morning. We could have looked at more, but the more I studied for this message, I didn't want to go too far. Because as Bruce shared about Jesus being the greater priest, that's ironic because toward the end of this chapter in chapter 3, that's exactly what we're going to look at. And But there's a lot of deep truths here, and I thought let's just take it easy and look at these four verses this morning. Now what I want to talk to you about this morning is this title here. I'm going to call this message, Pay Attention to Your Faith. And there's a reason for that. If I have, would have asked you, just randomly, we're having a conversation, I'm asking you how your day went, how your week went, how your job or your family's doing. We don't typically ask something like this, though. Have you been paying attention to your faith? And that question might be a little odd if you were to be asked that. Like, what do you mean have I been paying attention to my faith? But it's a very serious and important question, at least it is for the writer of Hebrews here this morning. And that's the theme I want to explore. Have we paid attention to our faith? Our world throws so much at us. If you have any kind of a phone that you would call a smartphone, then you know what I mean. That thing can alert you to everything out there, possible or impossible. And if you're on social media, it's even worse. You're going to get all kinds of updates, everything thrown at you from friends, family, people who aren't your friends, but you're just following them the news, there's so much information out there. And that can be a good thing, but it can also be a great distraction. And my fear for myself and each of us, anyone, especially in a society like ours that has so much technology and so much going on for it, is we can forget to pay attention to our faith. And I'll explain that a little bit more as we go. But there's so many things to distract us, so many things to pull our attention away. And here's Here's the big idea of what I hope to accomplish this morning. Is if you walk out of here today, I hope you've walked away with at least just this one thought, okay? Spiritual growth, strengthening your faith, things of that nature, being a stronger Christian, you could say, that does not and will not ever happen by default. It will not happen simply because we exist. You don't get saved, come to faith in Christ, and then from that point on, until you die and go to heaven or he returns and takes us to heaven, you just naturally grow stronger in your faith, in your walk with the Lord. That doesn't happen. It requires effort. More importantly, it requires focus. Hence what I'm saying here is pay attention to your faith. We have to watch out for our faith. We have to pay attention to our faith and see that we're nurturing it and growing it. Because if we don't, if we let everything else happen in our lives, our faith, I promise you, it's just not simply going to get stronger. I hope to show you this morning there's a great danger in not paying attention to our faith. See, what I'm saying here is not do you have faith. That's a different question. I'm not asking us this morning, do we have faith in Jesus Christ? That's an important question, and that's where it starts. What I'm asking this morning is, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you can say today, I know I'm a child of God, He saved me from my sins, that's wonderful. But that's just the start. The follow-up question is, are you paying attention to that faith, though? If you would, join me in standing, if you're able to, the reading of God's Word here. And I just want to read these four verses. Hebrews chapter 2, 
starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Let me pray for a moment, please. God, we come now to this time, the preaching of Your Word. And God, it starts with me. Everything I've studied, it, it's been difficult because this warning applies to me first and foremost before it applies to anyone here. And as the shepherd and the leader of this congregation, God, I, I certainly don't want to convey that I've mastered this. I haven't. But I ask, Lord, in the way that you've worked on me in preparing for this, that you would work in every heart here as well, Lord, that we would guard our faith, pay attention to it. Open our hearts and minds to understand these truths from Hebrews, please, Father. I want to take a moment, Lord, and just for whatever reason on my heart and mind this morning, I have other pastors that I've met throughout the weeks. I pray for Pastor Kyle and Emmanuel. What a great friend he's become to me and helped me. Pray for Pastor Nathan. Pray for Pastor Lance. Lord, there are others in this community and the surrounding areas that are going to be doing the same thing, preaching your word, declaring the gospel. Please strengthen them, give them grace this morning. Bless our congregations as well. For Son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I was, I was telling Brian, I want to make a side note. Um, I do intend going forward, I want to do my best to try and get my notes up for the screen. And maybe that'll be more helpful as we go. So that, that will be coming. I hope to really get started on that next week. It's been a challenge for me to do a sermon and then try to get notes in a PowerPoint. But I do want to do that. I think that's helpful. So just know if that's something you've been saying, I would rather have that than Stay tuned. More of that will come, hopefully. So, this morning, again, let's explore this theme. Pay attention to your faith. The writer of Hebrews here is at a transition. We've been in chapter 1, and we ended chapter 1, and now we come to chapter 2. And we're just going to look at these four verses, but I want to draw our attention to kind of the structure of the letter just for a second, because I think it can help us understand the big picture here. But really, verses 1 through 4, in my opinion, belong at the end of chapter 1. See, here's something that you may or may not know, but when you read in your Bible and you open up Hebrews chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 1 through 4, those are not original to when the Bible was written. The chapter markings and the verse numbers, God did not put them there. Men put them there. Now, they're helpful they're very helpful. The reason they were put there is so we would all be on the same page, literally. We would know where to turn and where to look. But sometimes when you're reading the Bible, and I'm here in chapter 2, and it's supposed to start a new section, and I'm thinking, this relates to the last section. I think it does. So I just want to draw our attention to here, don't be fooled by seeing the big 2, chapter 2, and think well, we're moving on to something new. We're not really. The author is still talking about this idea that Christ is greater than the angels. And he's going to do that all the way through the end of chapter 2. But right here in verses 1 through 4, he sort of takes a moment to the side and says, let me explain something very important before we move on. It's kind of a transition. He's sort of linking chapter 1, Christ is greater than the angels. And he's going to say something here, and he's going to move on to more points about how Christ is greater than the angels. 
Well, here in these four verses, he really gives the point of last week's sermon. Last week's sermon was we looked at how Christ is greater than the angels. Well, there's what's the purpose, though? Why does that matter? Well, here it is. He's going to say, now let me tell you why everything I just told you in chapter 1, why that matters to your life. So let's look at this here. Pay attention to your faith is his point. In verse 1, he says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, the word therefore is there because he's linking this back and saying, Everything I just told you, Christ is greater than the angels. Now, here's the so what. Here's the why that that matters. And his warning is simple. We must pay closer attention to what we've heard unless we drift away from it. So that's the warning. That's why we need to know all that stuff about Jesus and the angels. Because if we're not careful, there's a great danger that lies ahead of us. And that's what I want to look at as we keep going here. So pay attention to your faith. Now, paying attention to your faith, I'm really just going to have two points this morning. The first one is this. How do I pay attention to my faith? And I'll explain a little more what that means in a moment. Here's the first point. Heed God's warning. So heed God's warning. In verse 1 here, he says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Now, what we have heard is the gospel and everything else after the gospel. It's all the teachings that these people would have heard from the apostles, from their Bible teachers, but really we could just say the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They have heard the gospel, they've been presented with the gospel, and now he gives this warning. Pay attention to what you've heard, what you claim you've put your faith in. Don't ignore it. Pay attention to it, lest we drift away from it. Now, here's the challenge. I want to take a moment and talk about something real quick before we move on to. There's a big challenge in the book of Hebrews. We're going to encounter as we go through this book five of these type of passages. They're called warning passages. He's going to give a warning to his readers. He's going to say, beware, pay attention, watch out for this, watch out for that. Here's the challenge with them. They're a little difficult to interpret, and here's why. Because we're not entirely sure, I said this a few weeks ago, we're not entirely sure the exact nature of his audience. For example, it could be he was writing to a group of Jewish Christians, so these are ethnic Jews who converted to Christ from Judaism. Maybe they're in danger of reverting back to Judaism and not following Christ. That's possible. Maybe these people are true Christians, and he's just trying to encourage them to press on with more faithfulness. Not so much in danger of reverting back to Judaism, but they're just in danger of being lazy as a Christian. Maybe he's writing to a group of people, it's a mixed audience. Maybe there's true believers in this group, and he's warning them, don't get lazy in your faith, grow stronger. Maybe this group also does have people who look like Christians on the outside, but they've never really come to Christ with their heart. They're kind of playing Christian. Maybe it's mixed. I just want to be fair. We're not sure. I think it's fair to say they probably is a mixed congregation. Now, I'm saying this because who you think he wrote to will guide you in how you're about to interpret the passages we look at. Because there's a big debate, too, here. Some people believe that you can lose your salvation. My grandfather was one of these. He was a part of what was called the Free Will Baptist. My grandpa was an amazing man, but we debated this. So there are Christians, real Christians, that read the Bible, and I want to be fair to them, I don't think that they're not Christians, they are Christians. But they believe, though, that you can come to faith in Jesus Christ, really be saved. You're truly saved. You're truly born again. But they believe that if you really step out there into sin, 
like you really get wild with sin and you don't ever come back and repent, then they believe you, you've been kind of cut off from Jesus. You've lost your salvation. Now, I don't believe that. That's not the official doctrine of the Southern Baptist Convention that we're a part of, so our denomination does not believe that. We believe in something called eternal security. That means this, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, real true faith in Jesus Christ, from that moment on, forevermore, on into eternity, you're saved. You are eternally secure in your salvation. Now that does not mean that you won't ever have seasons in your life where you struggle with sin. That can be real. That can be true for a real Christian. But it doesn't mean that if you struggle with sin, you are all of a sudden no longer saved. Now, I said all that because of this reason here. If you go through these warning passages, it could sound like on one angle that he's warning these real Christians, be careful or you're going to lose your salvation if you don't pay attention. That's what it could sound like. But I want to tell you I don't believe that. I believe there's another way to look at this when we go through it. I believe he's warning Christians, be careful to pay attention to your faith or else you will drift, you'll get stale, you'll get lazy, and you will miss out on God's reward for you. Now, not salvation reward, but the reward of service to the Lord. Paul says in his letters, and I don't fully understand this, I want to be fair, but Paul says in his letters that there will be two judgments at the end of the age. There's the great judgment where God judges all human beings. And he's going to look at them as, as if they were either a child of his or not. And if they were not a child of God, they will be cast into the lake of fire. We call it hell. If they were a child of God, saved by the blood of the Lamb, then they're entering into eternity with him. But those people, Christians will say, real believers, children of God, will face another judgment seat. Paul says that this judgment seat, it's only for the children of God. Now, we're already in heaven so you're not at risk of being kicked out of heaven, but it's as if God will judge our works on behalf of Christ. He will judge how we conducted ourselves here as children of God. He will judge how well we carried out our service to him. The Bible says specifically for me as a pastor and a teacher, I will face a stricter judgment, James says. I will stand before God, and yes, I'm saved, and yes, I'm in heaven, but he's kind of going to make me give an account for how did you carry out your ministry? Here's where you failed. What was that about? Here's where you did well. Well done. Now, again, I don't know how all that works. I don't know how much God goes through all that and how long we're at that judgment seat. I really don't know. But Paul just simply says that it is real, that we stand before the Lord and our works are accounted for. And then Paul says, finally, that if you have faithfully served the Lord, it's as if you have crowns to lay at Jesus' feet. And you say, look here, Jesus, this is for you. Here's the fruits of my labor for your kingdom. But then Paul says there will be Christians who did basically nothing for the Lord. And Paul says they just barely missed the flames of hell. Yes, they're in heaven. They're saved. They didn't really do much. They weren't a faithful servant of God. They are in heaven, but they'll have really nothing to present to Christ and say, here was the fruits of my service to you. Now, if that confuses you, then we're good. We're on the same page. I don't fully understand either how all of that will work, but Paul says it. Now, I take that, I went through all that to say this. I believe it's best to read this warning passage as if he was writing to real Christians, not Christians that could lose their salvation, but Christians who had become extremely lazy, extremely stale in their faith. They weren't serving like they should be. They're just going through the motions. They show up to church, they listen, 
they sing the songs, they close their eyes for the prayer, go right out the door, and it's business as usual. It would be as if there was no point in them even coming to church because they weren't really there with the heart. They weren't really singing from the heart and listening from the heart. It didn't matter. They didn't leave the church meeting and their lives were changed Monday through Saturday. They just go through the motions. Now, they could be really saved, I believe, because he's trying to snap them back into reality and say, you need to pay attention here. There's a danger of just being a Christian and floating through, thinking it'll all be okay. So again, let me share a few things with you. In John chapter 6, verse 37, I'll read these quick. And we're not going to go through all of these verses that we could. But I believe the New Testament is explicitly clear that if you are truly saved, you are saved for good. You can fall into sin and you're going to be convicted, but you're really saved. You don't lose your salvation. In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus' own words are this. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The thrust of that passage that Jesus said is, if you're in Jesus' hands, nothing can take you out of Jesus' hands. I would argue even our own sinfulness. That's not an excuse to sin, but it is a comfort that even on our worst days, if you're really a child of God, God doesn't look at you and say, you're not my child anymore. I disown you. He'll never do that. Another one in John chapter 10, Jesus again talking, says this, John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, meaning his believers, and they will never perish. Never perish. And then he goes on, no one will snatch them out of my hand. So a real believer in Christ will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I take all of that then to mean if we're really in Christ, he keeps us with him. No, Satan cannot take you away from Christ. This world can't take you away from Christ. And I need to be careful how to say this because it's not an excuse to sin. But even when we do sin and fall into sins, we are not taken away from Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we can live there and stay there. But Jesus doesn't disown us. A final one that I love is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, In him, that's Jesus, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So when you believed the gospel truly from the heart, here's what happened. He says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you became a child of God through your real faith, authentic faith in Jesus Christ, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. That seal will never be broken. Now, we went through that just then to say, let's look back at Hebrews chapter 2 now. With that in mind, as we go through this, I don't want us to think, as I said, well, he's warning us that, that we could just lose our salvation. That's what we need to be on God for. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, pay attention to your faith. There's a reason, though. There's a great danger, even though we can't lose our salvation, there's still a great danger. So it seems to me, then, he's writing to probably a mixed audience. Some are real Christians. They need this warning. Some are phony Christians going through the motions. They need this warning too. They need to know to pay attention to their faith. So pay attention to your faith and how do we do this? The first point I said was heed God's warning. So let's look back at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 again. 
Therefore, we must pay attention closer to what we have heard. That's your faith. Pay attention to your faith. The word pay attention means, like it says, pay attention. It can also, you could interpret this to say, be on guard. Be on guard for your faith. Pay attention to it. Now, in the Greek, this verb is an action verb, meaning you and I are commanded to do this. The command here this morning is at the end of this sermon of everything I'm going to say, it's simply this. When we walk out this door, we need to be reminded and actively take care to watch out for our faith. Pay attention to our faith. I want to draw your attention to that. That's a command because in just a moment, it'll be very significant. So what's the command? Pay attention. Be on guard for your faith. You're like a sentry posted up on a tower watching for the enemy to come. And what you're guarding is your faith in Jesus Christ, your spiritual life. You're trying to guard it, protect it, pay attention to it. Why? Here's his warning. At the end of verse 1, he says, lest, unless we drift away from it. Now, this is a simple phrase, but very interesting. I hate to keep bringing up Greek, but it's really fascinating here. In the Greek, this phrase, drift away, is very, very interesting. First of all, it's passive. You have active verbs and passive verbs. Active is what I just said. You actively carry out the action. So the first phrase, pay attention to your faith, that's active. You and I need to do that. However, the second phrase here, unless you drift away from it, is passive. What does that mean? You don't have to do anything for this to become a reality in your life. You can sit back and just relax, and what he just warned here, it will automatically happen to you. So he's saying it like this. You don't have to actively drift away from your faith. He's not saying that. You don't wake up and say, I think today I will walk away from Christ, or I think today I will ignore my faith in Jesus Christ. You probably have never said that. You've probably never said, I will actively engage in ignoring Jesus Christ. I will actively engage in ignoring my spiritual walk with God. You probably never said that. But yet, if you look back on your life, you've probably had seasons where you say, I was far from God there. Well, ask yourself, how did that happen? How did you get far from God in a season of your life when you never said you wanted to do that? You didn't wake up and say, I think I'll live like a son of Satan rather than God for the next week or two. We'll see how that works. You probably haven't done that. But you've had seasons where you say, I really messed this up and I was very far from God. I wasn't where I should have been. Here's how that happened. Because it takes active work, hard work, to grow in your faith and strengthen it. That's why he says, guard over it, pay attention to it. But it takes no effort to drift away from your faith. If you just relax, it'll happen automatically for you. This phrase, drift away, was a nautical term for a ship. Back then they had the ships with the sails and the anchor that would hold it there. It's giving the idea of a ship sitting there, docked at the harbor, but they didn't fully anchor the ship down, and it's just sort of floating away. Now the ship is not actively rowing away from the dock. There, there are not rowers on it actively making them turn away. That's not what's happening here. This is a ship that's just sitting there on the water. But what happens? You've been to the ocean or maybe seen videos of it. There's these waves, right? The waves happen. So if the ship just sits there and there's no anchor holding it where it needs to stay, what's going to happen to the ship? It's going to be carried along by the waves of the water. And the ship will move whether someone rows on it or not. It will happen automatically. This is the idea the writer of Hebrews is saying about our faith. 
you have two choices. You can either actively pay attention and see that your faith is growing and it's strong and protected, or if you don't, do nothing, and then what will happen to your faith is you'll be like a ship just drifting away. And then you'll look back at the harbor. So that's God. He's the harbor. And you'll look back and say, how did I drift so far away from God, my harbor? Simple. We did nothing. That's how it happened. What do you mean we did nothing? We did nothing to try and stay where we should be. I like this quote from Professor Albert Moeller. He's the president of one of our Southern Baptist seminaries. He said this, There are only two options in the Christian life. We can either sail forward to more faithfulness, or we can drift backwards into faithlessness. There is no such thing as standing still in the Christian life. A Christian cannot say, I think I want to relax for a little bit and not be so stressed about my prayer life, my devotion time, worship. I think I'll just take a break. There's no such thing as a break, is his point. You can't be neutral with your relationship with Christ. You're either pressing on to gaining more ground in your faith, growing, or you're going backwards. There is no standing still. That's his point. The writer of Hebrews, and that's his warning. He says, heed God's warning. What's the warning? Pay attention to your faith. Why? Because if you don't, then what will automatically happen to you and I is we'll drift backwards away from God. And we may not even realize it's happening until we look back and wonder, how did this happen? How did I arrive here? So spiritual, we'll call this spiritual drift. It is a real threat. What is spiritual drift? It's several things. It's when you look back and you say, I haven't read my Bible in a week, maybe two weeks, maybe weeks or months. You look back and say, I, I haven't prayed in days. I feel so empty. I feel so dry. Where, where is God? Why do I feel like God is so distant right now? God didn't move anywhere. We drifted away. You look back and say, man, I just I haven't worshipped with God's people and gathered with them for weeks, maybe months. Now, there may be legitimate reasons why some people can't physically get to a church. I understand that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about voluntarily, just always having a reason why they couldn't join with God's people and worship and learn together. And then they look back weeks and months, and, and they're confused. They wonder, well, how did I get here? How did I get to where I'm not praying anymore? I'm not in God's word. I, I feel like I'm so spiritually dry right now. I'm now wondering what's going on in my life. I feel like I have no support. It was actually simpler than it sounds. All that they did, all that you and I can do for that to happen is to not pay attention to our faith, to not focus on growing it. What will happen is we'll go backwards. It's automatic. That's spiritual drift. When we drift away from our closeness to God and we'll get to where we feel it, we'll feel dry. Spiritual drift is dangerous. Let's look at verse 2. Here's why spiritual drift is dangerous. So again, he's warning these people, pay attention to your faith, because if you don't, you're going to drift away. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel dry. And here's, here's the danger of why this is a big deal. Verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here is the danger of spiritual drift in verse 2. The first part of verse 3. He's using an argument that people call lesser to the greater. So you have a lesser concept. And if that lesser concept is true and valid, then you should believe the greater. Let me give you an example. You have a big business out there. Think, think of a 
big, huge company. Let's say Walmart. Everybody's been to Walmart. Walmart's a massive company, okay? Walmart has a CEO, a chief executive officer, the top executive that runs that whole com company, okay? That CEO manages that company through vice presidents and directors. So if you go to one of the directors of Walmart and you get to know this person and you come to trust that person, let's I'm talking business here. So you, you trust how they do their business for Walmart. You believe every word that they say about Walmart. You just fully, 200% trust this director of Walmart Supercenters. Then you meet the CEO. He says, hey, I want to introduce you to the CEO. And you meet the CEO, and on your first interaction with him, you say, I don't like that guy. I, I, don't, I don't trust anything that that person says about Walmart. Well, here's the issue. If you trust the director who works for the CEO, the CEO has more authority than the director, but you trust the director, shouldn't you also follow the leadership of the CEO? It's, it's kind of implied that if you follow the director, you should follow the CEO because the CEO is over the director. It's a lesser to the greater. If the lesser is true and accurate, then its greater must also be true and accurate. Okay, now here's, here's his argument in verse 2. Since the message delivered by who? Angels. So that's the lesser. He's going to compare angels and Christ again. Angels are lesser than Christ. Remember last week, Christ is greater than the angels. So he's saying if the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. He's talking about the Old Testament again. The Old Testament covenant that God gave to Israel. He said, here's my law. Follow it, obey it, keep it. If you follow it and obey it and keep it, I will bless you. I'll bless you to the point other countries flock to Israel begging to know their God. But if you don't, there's punishment. God set up a system of law, law and order. If you obey, there's reward and blessings. If you disobey, then you will face punishment for that crime, essentially. So his point here is, look, if that message was delivered through angels and it proved to be reliable, reliable meaning it, it was valid, it was in force. The Greek, again, is kind of a legal terminology. It had legally binding authority. So in the Old Testament, that covenant administered through Moses, the Jews thought it really was administered from God to the angels to Moses. So he's pulling on that to say, if you believe that the angels can mediate a legally binding covenant from the Old Testament, and you followed that and you honored that, then how much more greater must be the message of Jesus Christ? Why? For the simple fact he's greater than the angels. So verse 2, declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Again, if you disobeyed the law in the Old Testament, sometimes the penalty was death. Not always death, but sometimes it was. The point he's making is, if you obeyed, you were rewarded. If you disobeyed, you were punished. That's how the system worked. If you believe that system was valid and it was given out from God through angels, then you should pay even much more attention to the system Jesus Christ said he brought. Jesus Christ came and he brings a new covenant. He said when he died on that cross, shed his blood, now then people come to him through faith. God says, I'll write my law on their heart. Like uh, Bruce was saying about the priesthood, we don't bring animals in here to the church. That would be really weird. If we brought animals in here and we slit their throats and they bled all over everything and we had to sprinkle blood on the, the table and the altar, that's what they did in the Old Testament. It sounds gory and gruesome, but it was for this simple fact. God set up that system to show people, you and I deserve that death. But this animal that's innocent, it didn't sin. It'll die in your place. So you had to bring your animal before the priest and you had to lay your hand on it and the priest would cut its throat right there with your hand on it. And it was a symbol of how bad our sin is, what we deserve. 
but God made a sacrifice through that animal. So here he comes and says, if you accepted that system, then you had better even much more accept Jesus's because he's greater than the angels. Jesus comes and says, I am the animal sacrifice. I have shed my blood for all eternity for all people. So that's his point in verse 3, is how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How can we escape judgment, is what he's saying. If people were judged in the old covenant for their disobedience, then even much more so is it true people are going to be judged by God in this new covenant era for their ignoring Jesus Christ. But if you have faith in Christ, you respond to Christ and there's blessing and rewards. But he's just trying to get them to see here there's a great danger in drifting spiritually. And the danger is this. If you ignore Jesus Christ, if you ignore his message, there's great danger eternally. We will be judged by God for all eternally. If you are a real child of God and you're sort of floating away in your faith, you're drifting, you're really saved, like I said earlier, but you're not doing anything. You're not really serving the Lord faithfully. What's the danger there? I believe the danger he would say is, yeah, you might go to heaven, that's true, but you're going to really regret when you get there and you have nothing to show Jesus how you served him, what you have to show for your labors for him here on this earth. His point to them is, is how can you expect to escape God's judgment, God's wrath? If they couldn't escape it in the Old Testament, we surely are not escaping it in the New Testament with Jesus Christ because he's greater than the angels. He's greater than any of that. So spiritual drift is a real threat. We said what it was. Why is it dangerous? Because they didn't escape judgment in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. People today, it's no different. No one is going to get a pass before God. He might say in layman's terms, we're not going to stand before God. And God will say, you know what? I think you're just a nice person. You can come on into eternity. That will never happen. There's a reason Jesus came to die, he would say. So don't ignore that message. He died for a reason. If there was no reason, if there was no need for salvation, then why did Jesus come and die at all? He died for a reason. To save people from their sins, which means everyone needs that salvation. But they have to put their faith in him. If they don't, they don't just get a pass. So Jesus, again, is greater than the angels. He brings a greater covenant. To ignore Jesus is to incur a stricter punishment than if you were alive back in the old days of Exodus and Deuteronomy and you ignored that covenant. Now in verse 3, moving on, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? A great salvation. I like how he says that. What an awesome thing Jesus Christ has done for us. Here I am talking about judgment from God and punishment, and that's all true. I like to think about God as a, a quarter here with a heads and a tails. You can't have half a quarter and still call it a quarter. You can't have only heads and say, I have a quarter. You have to have heads and tails. I think that's a good way to think about God. Here's what I mean. On the one hand, God is justice. He will render out holy justice on all people. He will judge people for their sins. He get, dishes out punishment and penalty. But on the other side, God says, but I'm also merciful. I'm forgiving. I'm love. To anyone who would call out to God for salvation, they will have it freely. God doesn't look at someone and say, you can never be saved because I just don't like you. He'll never do that. And here he says, how did God get us this great salvation? Through Jesus Christ. He came to die as our sacrifice in our place. But again, his warning is, how do we think we'll get a pass if we ignore Jesus? We won't. There's no way to escape God's wrath if we ignore God's salvation. Now, what's so great about this salvation? Here's my second and final point. I'll be quick. Again, we're talking about pay attention to your faith. 
Watch out for your faith. Guard it. What do I mean by that? Well, grow in your faith. Be actively seeking to grow in your faith to strengthen it, or else you're going to just drift away. You're going to get far from God and wonder how it happened. Heed the warnings of God. And the second point, real quick, is heed God's witnesses. So he's going to call on some witnesses and say, let me, let me say something to you real quickly about how we know that this gospel message really is great. And it's true. You look at verse 3. He says, It was declared, meaning the gospel message was declared at first by the Lord. That's Jesus. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you have Jesus Christ himself, his recorded words, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can only get to God through Jesus Christ. That was Jesus' message. He declared that message. Then he dies. But three days later, he rises again. He presented himself as evidence to witnesses, many witnesses. Paul says probably over 500 saw Jesus alive after he died on the cross and rose again. For around 40 days, it says Jesus came back from the grave and did more miracles to prove to his own followers, I meant what I said, I am the Son of God, and here I am, I've risen again from the dead. I can save you from your sins, believe in me, now go tell everyone that message. So Jesus is the first witness, so he says, um, why, what should I listen to here? Well, listen to Jesus. Jesus says, guard your faith. Why? Because he died to give us this faith, this salvation. So how dare we sort of spit, proverbially speaking, proverbially speaking in the face of Jesus? The second witness, he says, is, well, it was declared by Jesus. Then he says it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's saying this, you have Jesus Christ as a witness, then you have the apostles. Jesus is eyewitnesses of himself. He gave them an ability to go do miracles like he did. Why? So that they could be special? No. So that they could prove that the gospel message was true. Peter, Peter could go and, and heal a lame man, and, and Peter didn't say, I did this because I'm just awesome. He said, I did this by the power of Christ, so that you can believe in him and be saved as well. So you have the apostles are a second witness, and he says here, we heard it, that's his phrase in verse 3, it was declared by the Lord and attested to us, meaning us hearers who heard it from these apostles. We heard it, eyewitness testimony, we believed it, and guess what? We have this today. This is the New Testament. I've heard people say, well, I wasn't there. How could I believe in Jesus? I didn't see the man. I didn't see him rise again, so how could I believe in him? It's actually not that difficult. Police do this all the time. All the time. Our criminal justice system is built on the same way that the New Testament is, and most people don't realize that. But I've heard people say that. I can't believe in Jesus because I never saw the man. I didn't see him rise again, so how can I believe this message is true? For a simple fact that we have a chain of custody of evidence going back from the first century to today. And it is recorded down in the Bible. I don't have time to go into that, but there is a plethora of evidence to prove to us that we have the authentic words of Jesus and his apostles. They claim to be eyewitnesses. Police do that all the time. The police shows up to the scene. They weren't there. They didn't see it. But they recreate the scene with eyewitness testimony. They record it down. And then they seal that in an evidence log. You could then go 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now reopen those case files, and you can look back at what happened. You weren't there, but you can sort of relive the scene just off of the eyewitness testimonies and the work that the police did. You probably have heard of cold cases. They do this all the time. How can they open up cold cases and reinvestigate it when those people are already gone? Because they have all this evidence that was preserved for years and years and years. We have that here. We have eyewitnesses that said, I saw the man die, and I also saw him come back to life. And on top of that, 
you could say maybe they're lying. Why would they lie? They were all killed for their faith, except for John, probably. And even he was thrown in prison. People don't typically die for what they know to be a lie. These people could have at any point said, I'm sorry, guys, please don't kill us. We were joking about this whole Jesus thing. They never did that. They went to their deaths saying, I saw the man die and I saw him alive. He's the son of God. People die for things that they think are true that may not be, but that's different from these guys. These, die, these guys said they saw him and they never recounted it. So these are the eyewitnesses, he says, to heed. And the final one in verse 4, he says, while God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what's our final witness? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus himself gave a testimony about himself and the salvation he brings the apostles gave a testimony an eyewitness testimony that yes the man is true he really brings salvation he's the son of god god in the flesh and the final one he says the holy spirit well what did the holy spirit do he says here in verse four he gave gifts to those apostles to do some of the same miracles jesus did they healed sick people they healed blind people they made paralyzed people walk again all to prove jesus was real and true and then he says here he gives gifts to people according to his will. The Holy Spirit still to this day is giving gifts to the church to carry out this message of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean that we have the gift of touching people and they're healed. I don't mean that. But even the gift of teaching, the gift of service, the gift of mercy, Paul says, these are all things for you to do. Whatever the Holy Spirit's given you, your your way to serve the kingdom, to show people, I can only do these things by the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit in me. And that is a witness in and of itself. So, let me just end by kind of recapping this. Again, pay attention to your faith. I need to pay attention to my faith. You need to pay attention to your faith. I know that sounds weird to say that, pay attention to my faith, but what do we mean? If we don't pay attention to it, if we don't seek to grow it, to nurture it, what do we mean by that? Simple things. Every day being committed to talking to God through prayer. Every day. If you're married and you have any kind of relationship with your spouse that's lasted for years and years, you have to talk to them probably. You may not always want to. You may not want to talk to you. But still, you cannot say you have a relationship if for 40 years you never talk to each other. What kind of relationship is that? No different with us and God. We have to commune with Him, talk with Him. Well, how do we hear back from God? That is our Bible. This is the Word of God in written form. If we're not in it, if we're not reading it, we're not trying to take it in, we're going to get spiritually dry. I can promise you it will happen. Try going for days, for weeks, without praying and being in the Word and see how you feel. Don't really try it. But if you ever get there, you'll look back and say, man, how did I get here? And then what will happen is you'll start making bad decisions. Have you ever wondered how real Christians can get caught up in so bad moral sins sometimes? Because of this, they just drifted little by little. They stopped praying. They stopped reading. They stopped serving. And then they stopped thinking clearly, thinking right. And they drift far away and they look back and say, how did I get here? His point is, pay attention to your faith. Don't just think it'll happen naturally that you'll grow and be a stronger Christian. It will not. Again, the final charge, we must make sure we are really a child of God. I always end my messages with the gospel, but there's a reason because I never know the hearts here. I mean, you know me, you trust me, you voted for me, and I I trust you and, and you've allowed my family to be here. But at the end of the day, I'm not the Holy Spirit. You're not the Holy Spirit. I can't look in your heart. You can't look in mine. I, I believe that, that you're saved, but I can't look in your heart and your soul and really know that. Only you know that between you and the Lord. So I just want to end with saying, heed his warning. Real Christians here, we heed his warning by paying attention to our faith. Others here, maybe we need this warning to 
pay attention and ask ourselves, am I actually in the faith at all? Have I even come to Jesus Christ through faith and believe that He can be the Savior of my sins? Do I know when I leave here that I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God, and He calls me His own? If not, His warning here is clear. We will never escape God's judgment. Don't think for a second that we will. It is sure and it will happen. But those who are His children, He forgives and He saves for all eternity. So Christians, as we leave, let's pay attention to our faith and not drift away. Be actively focused on growing your faith. Let's pray. And as Bruce and his uh, team can come as I pray. Lord, thank you for your Bible. I say this probably every week, but I mean it. It is such a pleasure that as Americans, we have so many copies of the Bible in our English language. We can pick a Bible that is very literal. We can pick a Bible that helps us translate it better, that understand it better. We have so many choices. God, you say that with so much responsibility, so many things given comes greater responsibility. And you've given us so many things. God, would you just help us to seek to strengthen our faith, to grow it, to not be lazy with it, to not be lax? If anyone's here who's maybe been struggling with growing in their faith and they've just not paid attention to it, they've maybe thought it would just be fine automatically, would you help help their conscience understand, Lord, that that's not how it works, that we all, myself included, need to actively seek to strengthen our faith. Lord, if there's someone here that maybe they have not been sure about where they stand with you, if they're not sure that they really are a child of God, would you give them the courage to come, come talk to me, talk to one of the leaders of this church that can walk them through what it means to believe the gospel and become a child of God? Your son's name, I pray.